0: if you would turn in your bibles if you've got a bible or if you've got your phone um something that we tell you every every week or we mention this sometimes if you download the the holy bible app or the U version app um search enter in, in events for church at cane bay and every week we load in our message notes in there and that way you can kind of follow along with the message notes there um, and you'll also have the bible on your phone if you don't already have that so um Turn to Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, um, and that's where we'll be this morning. Um, but before we before we get there, as you're turning there, I just want to tell you a quick story. So in honor of, of Veterans Day weekend, um, you may not know the story of, of this man. His name is John R. Fox. Now, the John Fox I know used to coach the Carolina Panthers, But this is a different John Fox. This was a lieutenant who was in the U.S. Army in World War II. Um, He was a young man. Um, He and his men were on the second floor of a house in a small town in Italy. In 1944, it was Christmas Day. Christmas night, they were surrounded by German soldiers, German troops. Their position um, looked bad Um, they couldn't get out the German soldiers outnumbered them a lot and he and I think it was six men were at this position and so um, at one point he decided to call in artillery fire on his own position um, because he knew that by doing that it would it would defeat the Germans who were advancing and it would slow them down and so his commanding officer said, said to him, no, like it's, you're going you're gonna to be caught in the mo- bombardment. And he said, I know. And so they ended up firing on his position, and he and his men died um, right there on the second floor of that house. But it did stop the German advance long enough for, for backup to come. Um, and so, so in 1997... Fox received um, the Medal of Honor from the President of the United States, he and the six men who were with him were the first and only African-American soldiers in World War II to receive the Medal of Honor. And so in honor of Veterans Day, I was just telling, I just wanted to tell you his story because I was reading it this past week. But I I also tell you his story um, to say this. John Fox gave his life for the mission that he was on, right? And while his life was momentary, his, his impact was monumental, and we're telling his story today. But I tell this story because there's a, what we're about to jump into is the story of another young man. And interestingly enough, the young man we're about to talk about uh, was probably almost exactly the age of John Fox. John Fox was 29 when he died. The, the man that I'm about to tell you about, Stephen, in the pages of Scripture, was likely about the same age about 29 years old, and he gave his life as as well. And so we're going to jump into his story because one thing that um, I want you to know is that 1,900 years before John Fox died in World War II, um, this courageous young man named Stephen was stoned to death in the streets of Jerusalem for a very different mission, for a very different cause. But he's known in history as being the first Christian martyr. So the first man who actually gave his life for following Jesus. Um, And and so here's what you need to know about him. Um, If you you don't know much about Stephen, Stephen was a Greek man. He was Greek speaking, that is. He was actually Jewish, um, but he spoke Greek. So we call them Hellenized Jews. And that just means they were influenced by Greek culture at the time. The Greeks, their philosophy and language and culture had spread throughout the Mediterranean world. And so, so, so Stephen was a man who probably lived outside of Jerusalem. He probably lived outside of Jewish culture, and he adapted to Greek culture. So he wore Greek clothes and ate Greek food and, and spoke the Greek language. And, uh, and his name, even Stephen, is a Greek name, Stephanos, or Stephanos, is a Greek name. And so he was more Greek than he was Jewish, really, in terms of culture. Now, he became a Christian in the early days of the church. So, so, so get the timeline. Jesus had been crucified and then was resurrected. And within, probably within months, Stephen became a Christian in the early church. And so he was a new follower of, of Jesus. And he was living at this point in the city of Jerusalem. And he was a part of this new church, this new growing church of followers of Jesus. And he was asked by the church leaders to be a servant leader in the church, a word called diakonos or deacon. Um, That's just where it comes from. Stephen was one of the first deacons in the church. And what that meant was he was supposed to serve. And his first task that he was asked to do was there were some widows who, who weren't being taken care of because their husbands had died and they were hungry and they weren't being taken care of. And so Stephen and some other men who spoke Greek we're taking care of these greek speaking widows. And so he was a servant. He was a young man. He was a new Christian. He was a servant. And, and the Bible says that he was, he was full of God's grace and power. There was something about this young man that was remarkable, but here's, here's what else you need to know. Stephen never wrote a word of scripture. There's no scripture attributed to Stephen. He never started or pastored a church. We don't know a whole lot about him, but We do know that he died. He was stoned to death as a young man. His story was also momentary. But his story is monumental. And and here's why, and I'm going to get to this a little bit later. But I think Stephen's story changed history so much. this, This insignificant, ordinary guy that we don't know a lot about, his life and his death, I think it's one of the reasons that our church even exists today. And I'll, I'll connect the dots and tell you why in just a little bit. So the Bible, I already said, said that Stephen was full of God's grace and power. Now here's what happened. Here's what happened. Some of the traditional Jewish religious folks didn't like Stephen a whole lot. Because Stephen was not quiet. Stephen spoke with wisdom and authority, the Bible says. And his words seem to be convincing people to follow Jesus. Now remember, Jesus was the guy that these religious folks in Jerusalem just recently crucified. And somehow they're not shutting down this movement of people that are following Jesus. And Stephen seems to be leading more and more people to Jesus. So they start stirring up lies and rumors about Stephen. And they're saying things like, Stephen is saying that Jesus is going to tear the temple down. And this guy Stephen is saying that Jesus is going to overthrow all the customs and law of Moses. So they start stirring up these rumors about him. And it it gets to this point that Stephen is called before the Sanhedrin or the ruling religious council. Now this is the high priest and the rulers of of religious culture. Now get get this now. In Jerusalem at that time, the Roman Empire was governing um, the Jewish people. And the way they governed them was they said, we're going to take your religious leaders and we're going to make them the political leaders as well. And so the religious leaders of the temple and the synagogues, they also were the governing leaders. So Stephen is called before the governing authority at that time, the Sanhedrin, and he's, he's asked to give an account. Now, here's what they say. Is this true what you're saying? Now, what happens next is crazy. Because in chapter 7 of Acts, for 53 verses, Stephen boldly recounts Jewish history. Now, get this. He's talking to the guys who know, who went to school on Jewish history. They know the law. They know the scriptures. They know all this. And for 53 verses, Stephen recounts to them Jewish history. And he says something like this. He basically says... You have a long history of people who have rejected and resisted God. In fact, he tells them their fathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers have disobeyed God and not listened to God. Now that's a pretty strong charge, isn't it? And then he goes on to tell them this. He finishes by saying, not only have you not listened to God, and your ancestors have not listened to God, but you actually, you've rejected God's messengers. In fact, you murdered and killed his greatest messenger, the Messiah, Jesus. You murdered him. And he was the son of God. Now, here's what you need to know. If Stephen's goal was to defend himself and get out of this room, He does a really bad job. Are you with me? Like his defense is terrible because he basically looks at them and and, and tells them that they are against God and they're the religious leaders. But you see, there's something about Stephen that you need to understand. There's something about Stephen that could not deny or stay silent about the truth about Jesus. Stephen knew never secure his acquittal without compromising his convictions. He knew he wouldn't. and So he he decides to not stay silent and he decides to speak the truth. He he decides to take a stand and not back down and it cost him his life. Now here's here's what I want to start by telling you if you're taking notes, is this. Following Jesus is not safe. Okay? It's not safe. Now, you may go, "Well, I know, but but following Jesus means that I'm God's going to bless me and provide for me and protect me." Yeah, yeah, in some ways that is true. Listen, God's ultimate priority is not protecting your safety and your comfort and your ease. That's just not his ultimate priority. And that may be news for you. And you may go, well, well, wait a minute then. So following Jesus means that it may cost me my life. Yes. Now, I know we live in the freest, safest country in the world. I understand that. But listen, if you read the pages of Scripture and you understand the story of Stephen, listen, God's primary mission is not protecting your safety. That's just not what it's about. There's a greater story and a greater mission at stake and making your life safer, easy. And that's where we pick up Stephen's story in chapter 7, verse 54. I want you to follow along and look. It says, Now when they, and the they there is the religious leaders, the high priest and the religious leaders that Stephen is standing before. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. I I don't know about you, but like, they're grinding their teeth. Like, they're really mad. In fact, that word enraged, that word enraged means they were full of rage. They had had it up to here. How many of you, how many of you have ever had road rage? Just raise your hand. Just be honest. Okay. Wow. I'm in a comfortable setting. Um, so, so i recently put a church at Cane Bay sticker on the back of my car. And then I thought, what am I doing? You know, are you with me? Like, I thought, now I've got to drive right. So, well, sorry. Uh, I, um, but but here's, here's the thing. Sometimes when I have been driving and the person in front of me is not driving correctly, like, I feel myself fill up with something that is ungodly. Like I don't know where it comes from, and you you know that feeling, and it just like it just comes starts coming out your ears and your mouth, and you're like you just start overflowing this this rage. Well, picture these guys. Whatever it is that Stephen is saying, I mean, and we've already we've already seen what he's saying. They are full of rage. They have had it with what he is saying. That he is accusing them when they're supposed to be accusing him, and 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 they've had it with him look at the next verse, verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, that's that's Stephen, right? But he, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, stop right there before we read the rest of it. They were full of anger and rage. Stephen was full of the Spirit of God. It says, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, Stephen is about to face death. You already know the end of this story. Notice what Stephen sees. He sees heaven open and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Most of the time, in the Bible, it describes Jesus as sitting at the right hand of God. But when, when Stephen looks, he sees Jesus standing. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but it's almost as if Jesus is whispering or saying or showing Stephen, you stand up for me, I'll stand. Verse 56. And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, isn't it interesting that Stephen sees it, he sees Jesus, and he looks at his accusers, and he tells them what he sees. Probably, again, not smart when Jesus is the guy they're upset with, right? Right? So he looks at him and he see he says, I see the son of man. Now, interestingly enough, the son of man, that's the title Jesus used most often for himself, right? Jesus called himself the son of man. So when he tells them, I see the son of man standing at the right hand of God, they know who he's talking about. And basically he's saying this guy, the son of man that you killed rose from the dead and is standing at a place of authority over you right now beside the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And when he says that, look at what they do. Verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. This is a crazy scene. Picture it with me for just a second. It's like a mob scene, but in fact, this is not really a mob. These are supposed to be the governing authorities. This is like testifying before Congress. And all of a sudden, they're so angry and they're so enraged that they jump up, they cover their ears, and they scream and rush at him. Now, this won't really do justice to it, but not long ago, um, we were talking about a movie in our house one night. And one of our kids was giving away the ending of the movie. And that's just wrong to do that, right? Like they were spoiling the ending. And we were like, no, 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 stop, stop. And they kept on talking about it. And so a few of us covered our ears, right? went, I don't want to hear it. I want to remain ignorant because I want to see the movie. Now, here's the thing. Stephen had just told them that Jesus, the guy they crucified, is now the king of everything. And he is going to one day judge them too. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear. Verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city. And they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man. They drug him out of the city, and they killed that young man. Then they took off their coats, and they laid them at the feet of a man named Saul, another young man that day, probably about the same age as Stephen. Now, what that probably means is that Saul was either the instigator or the authorizer of this killing in some way. We're not really sure what we do know is that that young man Saul that was standing there authorizing or instigating the, the stoning, that young man would eventually give his life to Jesus. He would change his name to Paul. He would start churches all over the Mediterranean world and he would write most of the rest of the New Testament in your Bible. Stephen didn't know that that day that that would come later. Saul see that day when he was a part of this crazy scene that somehow planted a seed in his heart maybe that later was a part of leading him to follow Jesus. I, I don't know, but there was something about the death of Stephen that I just think, this is just my own thoughts. I wonder if it played a part in Saul's following Jesus. Verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, and here's where we see some of Stephen's last words, right? He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen, as he's probably laying there on the ground, probably in not a pretty, not a very good state physically. He says, you know. You can kill me, but my eternity is secure in Jesus. I just saw my Savior standing ready for me. Stephen is saying, you can take my physical life, but you can't take my hope. Your hand may be against me, but my Savior's arms are open wide. The world can reject you. Jesus will receive me, and I'm not afraid. And then in verse 60 it says, And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Isn't it interesting that it uses the language, he fell asleep? Why do you think it uses that? about to open his eyes in a whole new place, right? His very last words. Look look at that. Look at his very last words. They were words of forgiveness for the people who are killing him, his enemies, the people who hate him. That's not normal. No, no, we would love to all aspire to that, but in that moment, that's what comes out. And and, you know, the interesting thing is they're almost identical to the words of Jesus when Jesus was crucified. You see, when I look at the life of Stephen and the death of Stephen, you know what I see? I see that the more you follow Jesus and love Jesus, the more you start to look like and sound like Jesus. You see, genuine grace and forgiveness like that is a fruit of a life that has been changed. That's not normal. That's not ordinary. It's not natural. It's not even logical. Recently in the news, you probably saw the story of the young man, the 18-year-old younger brother of a guy who was killed unjustly. And he's testifying in court at the end of the trial during the sentencing phase. And and he does something that's crazy. Like, nobody knew this young man was going to do it. But he expresses forgiveness and love Toward the person who killed his older brother, and it was a scene that the whole world just kind of stopped and said, "That doesn't even seem right." But you see, you, you see what he did, and you think that's what it looks like to follow Jesus in the face of injustice. It, it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. It's not even logical. And that's what it looks like when somebody follows Jesus is they begin to look like Jesus It's craziness. It's why we know Stephen's story, because he didn't just die. It's the way he died, right? The church, I'm not just talking about church at Cane Bay, but the church of Jesus was built on the backs of men like Stephen. I want to ask you a few questions as we just kind of reflect on this story. So if you've got a pen, there's pens in front of you in the seat back. If you've got a program, just, just write these down if you would. There's just three questions I want to ask you. And these are questions I'm asking me. It's this. Is looking at Stephen's story, it, it makes me think, what am I filled with? Like, what am I filling myself with? Because there's a very clear distinction in this story. There's a very clear distinction between the religious leaders who are filled with jealousy and anger and pride and revenge, and it comes out in violent ways, right? And, and then it says Stephen is filled with grace and power, and he's full of the Holy Spirit, and what comes out is truth and love and forgiveness in his darkest moment. Like, here's the thing. What do you get when you squeeze a lemon? Lemon juice? Yeah. Okay, you're... you're. What do you get when you squeeze you? I don't like. You know what I mean. Stephen and these religious guys are in one of the diffi- most difficult moments of their lives, right? Stephen, it is his, his darkest hour. He is being squeezed. He's under tremendous amount of pressure. He is about to die. The religious leaders for whatever reason, they are feeling the threatening pressure of what Stephen is saying about Jesus, and they're both being squeezed at this moment, and something comes out of the religious leaders that is ungodly, and something comes out of Stephen that is incredibly godly. What is the difference? What they're filled with. You see, here's the thing that I would ask you, is on a daily basis, we get to choose what fills us. We're like sponges. We take in... So much stuff. We're soaking and absorbing so many things. This is why we say it's so important to immerse yourself in the word of God and what God says every day. Like take it in. Absorb it. Jesus did. And then when he was tempted, what came out? The word of God came out. This is why I understand that when you are immersing yourself in. around in in community of people who love Jesus and are following Jesus and they're holding you accountable and praying for you and learning together with you, whether that's in a missional community or in a huddle. See, when you immerse yourself in that, when, when life gets tough and it will, what will come out? But see, likewise, if you're immersing yourself in all the things the world says will fill you up, Listen, if you're filling your mind and your heart with things that are not of Jesus, when life gets hard, when you get squeezed, what is going to come out? All the things that are not of Jesus. What are you filling yourself with? Because in moments like this, it matters a whole lot. The second question I I began to think about this week is, What if the story that you're living out is not really about you? Now, I know that might even sound like a fair question, but think with me about this for just a second. When I read the story of Stephen, my first thought is, why didn't God rescue Stephen? I I don't know if you think that when you first read the story, but Stephen was full of faith. He, he was full of grace and, and power. He was a servant. He was a leader. He was young. He was filled with promise and potential. Why would God let a man like that suffer such a horrible fate and at such a young age? Like, why? I don't know all the answers to that, but, but what if the story isn't really about Stephen? might have even realized this because the very last words he speaks he says Lord don't hold this sin against them he's thinking about them the people who are he should be so angry with his very last words are about them you know Stephen really didn't know what would be next after he died right he had no idea it's likely that Stephen may not have even known who Saul, that young man that was there that day, that after they stoned him, they laid down the coats in front of him. It's likely that Stephen may not have even known who he was. I, I'm not sure. But he certainly didn't know the next chapter in the story. Because if you read the rest of the book of Acts, it's, about, it's mostly about that young man named Saul, Right? See, Stephen didn't know, or Stephen didn't even get to see the next chapter in the story, really. But, oh, there was a next chapter. And Stephen didn't get to play a role in that, not physically, right? But Saul did. You see, here's here's why I point that out. It's not really your story that you're living out. And I know that's what the world tells you, and I know that's what you might want to think sometimes, but what if it's not your story? What if you're playing a part in God's story and it's way bigger than you? And it's about other people and what God's doing in their lives. You may not understand and I may not understand why God allows us to face certain things and not have certain things and walk through certain circumstances and I don't understand why God allows people to die at young ages and face the things they face, but what is it? What if, could it be that how you and I respond as followers of Jesus in the toughest moments and darkest days of our life, what if those, the way we respond has a greater impact on those watching you than anything else? Could it be that being a follower of Jesus who somehow has joy and peace and hope and love and forgiveness in the midst of the most awful injustice and circumstances points people to Jesus more than having a life of ease. What if? You see, God can use your life, your death, and even your pain in ways that you may not understand. But here's what I know. You will either live for God's glory or for your own glory, but you cannot live for both. story really isn't just about you. The third question I want to ask you is this. Is Jesus worth it? Because I look at this story, and I think, gosh, he could have been silent. He could have just not said those things. He could have backed down. He could have retreated. He could have saved his own life, so to speak. Stephen was the first of many people who would give their lives for the sake of the gospel. You may know that 11 out of the 12 disciples ended up being killed for following Jesus because they weren't silent. Millions of followers today, today around the world in places that aren't nearly as safe and free as where we live, they're risking their lives by following Jesus and by pointing other people to follow Jesus. You know what's interesting, though? When Jesus gave his life on the cross, his very last words were words of forgiveness. Because when Jesus died, he was saying, you are worth it. You're worth it. I guess the question for us is, is he worth my life? You say, I really believe there's no greater reason in living there's no greater reward in dying than Jesus. We'll all face our last breath when we fall asleep, right? We don't know when that is. It could be today. We don't know. But will we look up as we breathe our last and will we see Jesus? waiting for us or like Stephen's accusers will we cover our ears the rest of our days because the truth is just too hard to hear here's the truth if you give your life to Jesus one day when you breathe your last I believe in the very next moment you will open your eyes see the Savior of the world standing there with open arms saying well done good and faithful servant I've been waiting Shortly before Jesus died on the cross, he shared a meal with men who, just like Stephen, would one day give their lives for him. It was just an ordinary meal. It was celebrating the Passover, but just ordinary food sitting around a table on a second floor room. And they were sitting there eating bread and wine and jesus picked up the bread and he he passed it around and he said you see this bread it's just bread but it symbolizes my body that's about to be broken for you and then he passed around a cup of wine and he asked them to drink it and he said this wine symbolizes my blood that's about to be spilled for you and that night i don't think they fully got what was about to happen I don't think they fully understood why Jesus was going to have to die to make us right with God and to give us forgiveness. But now you and I are on the other side of that. And we look back at that event and we look at Jesus' death and His resurrection and we see this, that all the hope, all the peace, all the satisfaction, all the significance you could ever find is found in Jesus. That's where real freedom is. That's where new life is. That's where hope that one day when we breathe our last, we will be with him forever. He's worth it. He's worth it. Today, in our response time, there's four tables set up around the room with communion. Little pieces of bread and cups of juice. I'm going to ask you to do this. Whenever you're ready, you can go and take communion and you can just take it and go back to your seat. And as you do, you're remembering and reflecting on the fact that you are free and forgiven because God's own son died in your place. Now, the thing is, for some of you, maybe as you take communion this morning, it may be the first time you've ever said, Jesus, you're worth it to me. Yes, I receive you, Jesus. I know I need you, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. And maybe that's what you're saying when you take communion today. Maybe you say, I'm not ready to do that. And that's okay. You don't have to do it. You you, you can pray and and talk to God and, and stay right where you are. I'll be at the back of the room, and if you want to come and ask me questions and talk to me, you're welcome to come. I'm going to pray for us. And you take communion whenever you're ready, okay? God, thank you for men like Stephen who followed Jesus and then their life began to look like Jesus. And that they gave up everything for the sake of your mission and your message. I just know that there were people standing there that day who saw Stephen die who realized that Jesus is who he says he is God I just I think it even planted a seed in the heart of Saul who one day would plant churches who would reach a Gentile world of which I'm a part God I thank you for Stephen's story I even thank you for Stephen's death I pray that I would live my life in a similar fashion. God, I thank you most of all for the one for who Stephen died, for Jesus. Because it's because of Jesus that Stephen now lives and that I can live too.